Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome to the 5G Guys Podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Welcome back for another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith. And I'm joined by my co-host, Dan McVall. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Good to, good to be back again. Um, welcome to another episode. Thanks for listening. As always, go to 5gguys.com to connect with us and uh, share with your friends and family if you like what you're hearing. Uh, today, we've got an encore episode with Peter Thermos, president and CTO of Palindrome Technologies. We had a prior episode talking about um, security and data integrity and the like. If you haven't heard that episode, go back and check it out. But uh, Peter's um, the CTO and, and founder of Palindrome Technologies. He's got over 20 years of experience in information security and assurance. Uh, he's got clients that he consults to in both the government and private sector. And really what Palindrome does is they're sort of subject matter experts in various industries like telecom, energy, financial. And the work they do helps secure emerging technologies like internet multimedia applications, voice over IP, carrier-grade networks like 4G, LTE, 5G, um, user equipment like 4G, 5G handsets, IoT devices. And in addition to the work that Palindrome does, and Peter being their CEO, he's also the author of a book called Securing Voice Over IP Networks. Uh, it's by Addison Wesley, so check that out. Um, he's also speaking at various conferences, publishing papers all the time. He's in trade magazines such as Forbes and Wired. So Peter, thanks for joining us again and coming back to uh, have an encore discussion about security. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Wayne. Glad to be back. When uh, when we last talked, we we dove a lot into more general cybersecurity stuff, and then since then we've been talking with you about this issue that some may have seen in the press about how a lot of our telecom infrastructure in the U.S. is made by Chinese manufacturers, namely Huawei and ZTE, and how there's an initiative in the U.S. right now to replace that equipment with non-Chinese manufacturers because of national security concerns. Um, so I thought we could kick off today by teeing that topic up, introducing our audience to what's really going on there. What, how real is that concern of our national security as it relates to Chinese manufactured equipment and our telecom infrastructure? And then just sort of talk about that in general from there. Does that, uh, does that sound like a good topic, uh, Peter, and something you can help us with? Perfect. Yep. Absolutely. So, so explain to us what exactly is going on and how real is the concern? So the fundamental issue we're facing is supply chain or the security of the supply chain. So this topic emerged uh, about 25, 30 years ago uh, in the DOD. Now it has become more evident the past 10 years uh, and we've seen publications from various uh, nations, including the United States, as far as the threat of uh, 
adversaries implanting backdoors uh, into software uh, or hardware that are being used in telecommunication infrastructures. So telco is uh, one of the primary, um, I guess, targets in case of war is part of the national critical infrastructure. Uh, and if an adversary has a foothold into the network elements that comprise the telecommunications infrastructure, that's a, 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 a great vulnerability that needs to be addressed. So some of the OEMs, um, foreign OEMs, uh, have been found after uh, an analysis has been done, uh, cybersecurity analysis that is, uh, on their products. And they have been found to maintain poor security practices. Uh, and that can be on purpose. So they, the uh, adversarial uh, nation has always a mechanism or a backdoor and gain unauthorized access and uh, deliver the type of attacks that they wish to deliver. So the supply chain is critical in maintaining a, a robust cybersecurity posture uh, in the DoD plus the nation itself. So the real concern then is that through these backdoors, they can either basically spy on us and or initiate attacks on our infrastructure on our wireless networks. So um, one of the things that was found during the security analysis it was that the products being deployed in telecommunication uh, networks from specific vendors were uh, full of vulnerabilities. And either the manufacturer didn't patch those vulnerabilities on purpose uh, because uh, poor security practices or um, based on a directive that was initiated by uh, a nation that they were, I guess, uh, providing services or, or collaborating with. So at the end of the day, we have products in any telecommunication network that can be compromised remotely, not just locally, but uh, miles away. And uh, have the ability to bring the entire telecommunications infrastructure to its knees if, if they wish to do so. So uh, the, the supply chain, again, it, it's one of the areas that we need to get a better handle on as uh, companies contribute to the DOD or telecommunication infrastructure. Uh, we need to take uh, responsibility and also help companies uh, here in the United States that built or start to build radio equipment for telecommunications uh, to assist uh, in uh, not only from a funding perspective, but also from a cybersecurity perspective. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Uh, a question that I had, there's been a lot of hype you know, around the Chinese equipment and different foreign in the equipment. Do we know of a documented uh, breach over the last three or four years that's come from telecom network? Or is that more or less theorizing that the backdoors exist and that the breach is possible? Uh, a documented breach? No, not not in the sense that um, a specific telecommunication equipment was used. There was a breach and they traced it back to the vendor. But there have been instances where security researchers have found backdoors in uh, handsets 
uh, radio equipment, network management equipment, where the vendors uh, implanted them uh, by default and they were in all their releases. And uh, they were made uh, public and it took quite a while for them to, I guess, alleviate those issues. But there have been documented uh, instances from researchers where backdoors were, were found. Now, the uh, UK equivalent of the NSA, British uh, uh, Communications Headquarter, GHHQ, that uh, organization was able to produce a report based on some of the telecommunications products that they analyzed and they found a number of vulnerabilities. But again, based on our experience, my personal experience is that those products are poorly maintained in terms of uh, security vulnerabilities, patching default credentials or uh, you know, poor coding practices that they follow and introduce new vulnerabilities. So again, it may be on purpose or it may be just uh, pure negligence. And so to my knowledge, the federal government has gotten smack in the middle of this issue for a number of years now. I know back when 4G networks were being deployed, the federal government, um, actually, I I know when uh, Sprint was deploying their 4G network, they had actually contracted with, I believe it was Huawei, a Chinese manufacturer to build at least part of their radio network for their 4G network, and the the federal government stepped in and said, "No, we don't we don't want that." And Sprint complied and changed their plans and ended up going with uh, manufacturers that um, were not out of China. But um, and and as far as I know, you know the other big carriers, Verizon, T-Mobile, AT and T, have also used non-Chinese manufacturers for their radio access network equipment. However. What a lot of people don't know is that there are upwards of 90 regional small cellular network operators that the big the big carriers use as partners to extend extend their footprint. And a large number of those smaller mom and pop cellular operators have built networks using ZTE, a Chinese company, Huawei, another Chinese company like we've talked about. And as I understand it, the FCC and the federal government are actually providing funds to those companies an initiative to rip that equipment out and replace it with non-Chinese manufacturer equipment. Is that, is that, did I get that right, Peter? Indeed. A couple of initiatives from the U.S. government to do exactly that. One is to help incumbent telecommunication providers replace their existing gear and also help beef up uh, cybersecurity practices within those telcos. Because again, from an adversary's perspective, they most likely going to go after the low-hanging fruit. So if I was an adversary and not able to directly penetrate Spring, AT&T, or Verizon, uh, guess what? I'm going to go through a partner, telco, uh, or a vendor, product vendor, uh, just like we've seen with SolarWinds, and try to compromise um, uh, that vector uh, and get unauthorized taxes and deliver attacks. Thanks, Peter. That that uh, that kind of confirms what I thought. The the other thing that I've started realizing is as part of this issue is that I don't think we have a single radio access network OEM manufacturer in the U.S. that's American based right now. I don't. I think they're all foreign, right? Now some of them are, you know, Nokia out of Finland, Ericsson also out of Europe. But is that is that the case? 
Correct. At the moment, uh, we do not have U.S. Uh, radio-based uh, manufacturers. Uh, we rely on Nokia uh, and Ericsson mostly, which are uh, European countries, part of NATO. Uh, they have been allies. I mean, we U.S. and uh, the corresponding Finland, Sweden uh, are doing uh, cyber exercises and and uh, also. Uh, normal warfare exercises. But yeah, the short answer is, unfortunately, we do not. But the uh, U.S. government has started promoting and providing incentives for companies here in the United States to start building uh, radio equipment. Got it. And who would be some of the candidate companies that people might be familiar with uh, that, that would be examples of companies that might get back into that? There haven't been any uh, public announcements yet. Um, there is some suspicion uh, older Motorola teams, product teams, they, they might spring up uh, radio equipment. Uh, Intel may go into that game as well, but nothing officially. And a lot of the chipsets that are behind this infrastructure, especially in the subscriber devices, the handsets, those are made by either Qualcomm or Intel, those are the two leading manufacturers of those chipsets. Is that right? Correct, correct. Yeah, the, the baseband modems on the handsets uh, and most of the devices that we see out there, yeah, they're based on uh, Qualcomm and Intel. Got it. So what, um, what other kinds of security threats is wireless specifically posing? So, for example, I saw, uh, I don't know, it was 2020 or some program once where some guys hacked into a car using the Bluetooth that was on the car, and they literally took control of the car, the braking system, the the acceleration system, the steering system. Is that is that a legit concern? And how knowledgeable are you of, of that as it relates to to the technology and where we're at in in wireless? Yeah, for yes, that that is true, and there's still uh, attacks that can be carried over uh, any. RF radio frequency, it depends, you know, the, the receiving end, how well has been uh, programmed in terms of uh, the, the source code, the actual code that runs on the hardware. So if that manufacturer maintains poor programming practices, not even secure, but just in general, poor programming practices, um, yeah, you, you're going to see issues. Uh, and always it comes back to the code that is running on that hardware. So the testing that we do uh, we do man-in-the-middle type of attacks for Bluetooth, NFC, and then all the way up to the frequency where you look at 3G, 4G, nowadays 5G. So we're looking at all the radio frequencies. And the most important thing to attack after uh, in order to gain access or perform man-in-the-middle is the protocol stack. And once you get a uh, good understanding and identify vulnerabilities there, basically you can control both ends of the communications. Uh, granted, there are other type of attacks like service disruption through jamming and uh, interference, but those are just um, you know, service disruption attacks. They don't aim in gaining access. But yes, in the past, there have been instances, and we see instances during our testing because we do testing for uh, V2X vehicle-to-infrastructure communications um, and other type of industries, uh, including robotics and some of the healthcare, where they use RF, including Bluetooth, NFC, or other frequencies, uh, Wi-Fi, to 
communicate between devices and the users. In the, uh, give us some examples of the types of things that are going on with 5G as it relates to security compared to you know 2G, 3G. And we touched a little bit on this in the previous episode with you, but it, it feels like while there seems to be more potential vulnerability, that there's also a lot more going on in the standards bodies and in the, in the industry, the manufacturing industry, to be more proactive about making security a forethought versus an afterthought. Can you talk a little bit about your exposure to that through Palindrome and 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 how that may or may not be the case? Sure, and that, that's a very good question. So, 5G addresses several vulnerabilities that have been found with 2G, 3G, and in some instances with 4G, especially when it comes to location tracking. But then the fact that we bring in uh, multiple access edge computing in order to improve performance for the user experience, that introduces a, a number uh, of threats. So the mobile edge cloud, uh, you, you have uh, you know, closer proximity uh, to the um, uh, tower and the processing, if you will, of that application, uh, whether it's uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality, or machine-to-machine type of communication, the infrastructure that supports that needs to be secure. And we're kind of lacking in that area. Uh, With 5G, we introduce, uh, yes, some protection mechanisms, but at the same time, we increase the level of complexity that we see for the core network because there are a number of what they call network functions that are distributed in the cloud. And on top of it, you have the applications that rely on those cloud resources and themselves will be on different cloud enclaves, whether they're public, multi-tenant or private, you'll, you'll see them there. So that kind of opens up the level of complexity and another set of threats or attack vectors that can be realized. And the fact that we also going to start seeing private 5G networks being deployed, that will increase the responsibility of enterprise organizations to uh, manage security when it comes to 5G and Mac mobile edge computing. So from one hand, we have the alleviation of uh, older vulnerabilities, if you will, uh, like eavesdropping, uh, MZ catching. You may have heard some of these type of attacks um, between 2G, 3G, and to some extent 4G. So 5G will help alleviate those, but then it's going to introduce some other uh, areas of concerns and challenges that, that we need to tackle. Now, I, I think, you know, one thing that's came to mind, you know, when you speak of 5G and networks, we hear a lot about the IoT side of the world and the vulnerabilities that it creates. I mean, some of the projections from where we're at today is that we'll have close to 75 billion different wireless IoT devices by 2025. And so I know we talked a little bit about the component level of those, but, you know, everything that are around us, including 5G, you know, we're going to be connected in a way. What what do you guys see as the risk of the IoT world? Because it, before long, it will be all IoT that's running on the wireless networks, pretty much the majority or, or high percentage. So, you know, how, how does how, how, do, how are we going to look at security when that many devices are connected? 
we're going to go back to smoke signals. No. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. There's a lot of devices. We're going to use reverse psychology. Uh, well, yeah, I, IoT is a big area. And where we see vulnerabilities issues uh, coming up, uh, number one is the actual firmware being used in those IoT devices. In the past, you had embedded uh, devices that possibly use you know, a few thousand lines of code. Nowadays, that has exponentially grown because the same type of devices are expected to do more. Uh, open source, uh, leveraging open source is a blessing and a curse in certain instances because you bring in code that you don't know it was written or hijacked uh, at some point by an adversary and they have implanted uh, malicious code. And then you start looking at the network uh, interfaces between the IoT devices and the back end. So, yes, you have another layer to be concerned about. Uh, it's not just the firmware itself. After it starts operating, let's assume that the firmware is uh, kosher and you've done due diligence. Once you have a device that communicates with the rest of the network or other devices and accumulates uh, data and information, you have the, the issue of identifying or mitigating vulnerabilities at the network stack itself. So again, that network stack may use third-party libraries, open source software, uh, which can be analyzed by adversaries, identify vulnerabilities, and then attack those, those devices directly. So from a, a security perspective, you have to look at all their layers. You have to do defense in depth, plus what we start calling nowadays zero trust. So those two concepts go hand in hand in order to increase your cybersecurity posture as an enterprise user, whether they, you have IoT devices or any other type of infrastructure to maintain uh, and provide services to your users. So the, the, uh, those two concepts are, I believe, key uh, concepts to move forward in order and improve your overall cybersecurity posture. Peter, is there also a lot of work going on with regard to AI and reliance on AI to proactively identify risks, defend against risks? Do carriers, in addition, have the ability to say, well, let's say hypothetically that you know there's you know tens of millions of a certain type of IoT device, a doorbell of some type, for example, that has been identified as a threat to literally deny access to the network, for example, to eliminate that threat until it can be resolved? Or what, what's going on on I know I asked a couple of questions there, but it's sort of a convergence of things, right? Mm -hmm, absolutely. So AI, again, if you understand AI properly, you can do some really interesting good things. If you don't understand AI, you may introduce more problems. So some organizations take AI and say, you know, our technology is based on AI uh, and we do X, Y, Z. And then once you start throwing off that AI model by injecting malicious type of whether it's images or patterns to be processed and you influence the judgment of the AI, then you have a flawed AI that is vulnerable to those type of attacks and um, it's game over. That, that's what it comes down to. So, yes, it's good if you can implement it properly, uh, but it can be a, a double edged sword feels like we're walking on the ledge of a building and on the other side could be some really good things, but a lot of uh, potential pitfalls along the way. 
Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that that's what we've seen. I mean, I've been in cybersecurity since 1995. I had the opportunity to work some, with some really smart guys back at Belcor, where things like the first vulnerability scanner was ever uh, built or invented, if you will, Pingware uh, or Esky. Now this is the Secure ID uh, and some other interesting innovations from a security perspective, and. All this time, it comes down to the implementation. We, we see that technology is moving forward and security is always one step behind that evolution of technology. And that's what we have to start managing better. So with every new technology, if we take every new technology and shift a little bit, as they say, to the left, our DevOps or SegDevOps, and implement security from the initial stages, from requirements, design, then we're going to have much better chance in deploying a uh, robust and secure solution. It's not going to be 100%, but at least it's going to eliminate all the low-hanging fruit and make it much harder for adversaries to compromise a device or a network. Awesome. Well, it's good to know that we've got smart folks like you behind the scenes, looking out for all of our best interests, hopefully keeping us one step ahead of the bad guys, or at least not too many steps behind them, depending on which situation it is. But uh, this is uh, very helpful to kind of help wrap, wrap our hands around security and, and where we're headed in the near future and long term. But um, so thanks for joining us again, Peter. It's very, very helpful. Tell tell everyone again how they can get in touch with you and Palindrome and and uh, and get your help if it's something they need help with. Sure. Uh, you can reach us uh, over uh, the web at www.palindromtech.com. Um, you can send email directly to me at peter at palindromtech.com. Uh, and just one note, a lot of times people ask me, you know, how the name came up, uh, palindrome. And that's a, a concept uh, we had to study in computer science back in college on um, uh, reading a uh, string of characters and determining whether it's a palindrome or not. But in our uh, world, we see palindrome uh, relationships with our customers as a mutual trust that, that we build with our customers because they provide um, information, uh, intellectual property to us, and we, we're trying to protect that and help them protect it themselves. So for us, uh, it's a palindrome trust that we're building with our customers. That's awesome. Again, you know, thanks for joining us. It's a definitely a deep subject. There's a lot of avenues, you know, it makes you feel good that, and I think sometimes we underestimate the amount of effort that the folks providing the services, the carriers and stuff are actually putting into to protect the consumer. So yeah. it's a big hats off to them that they're being proactive in the way that they build their networks into the future, whether it's 5G or not, or private networks that they're looking out for threats into the future so that we can enjoy the comfort that IOT and the networks bring to us as a consumer. So very well yeah. said. Yes. They, they, they're uh, investing a lot of resources and time to uh, help secure the nation's infrastructure. So yeah, uh, we, we should keep supporting them and encourage them to continue doing so. Perfect. Thanks. Well, uh, Everyone, thanks for joining us again. As always, I'd love to hear your feedback. If you have any questions, anything we got wrong, go to 5gguys.com. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast there or wherever you uh, listen to your favorite podcast. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, thanks, everyone. Thanks. thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. 
For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5gguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. 